Yo, so as we established in the last story, this was where I wanted to go. I wanted to spend time in the urban jungle of Shanghai and just explore, 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 and get familiar with the language, the culture, the place, etc., etc. So when I got back to America, like, swiftly began to try to find places online where I could scoop up some females. No, it wasn't quite like that, but I was trying to find, like, you know, dating websites were a pretty big thing back then. And uh, I was using MySpace.cn and RenRen, which was like a Facebook knockoff. Um, I had a messenger called QQ by that point, which was like uh, the Chinese MSN messenger. And I basically tried to friend like 60 girls that lived mainly in Shanghai. But if someone looked cute and I came across their profile, I'd talk to them. And that whittled down to three contacts that I ended up having, which their names were Zoe, Mazi, and Yatin. So Zoe was, I guess, supposed to be named Zoe, but I always write her name as Zoe. She was from Hangzhou, but she lived in Shanghai. Um, only a couple years younger than me, I guess. And Mazi was, uh, I guess, like five or six years younger than me. And she lived in Shanghai, too, I believe, or moved there while I was talking to her. I can't remember. But she was from Chongqing, which is much further west, around Sichuan area. And Yatin, who was at the time and is from Nanning or near Nanning, which is in Guangxi, which is kind of like the deep south. Those were the three that I ended up really talking to all the time. Zoe and I developed a relationship. We became like long-distance lovers. And that period from like, I guess the end of 2006 until about 2009, really, the beginning of 2009, when she met a German guy in a bar and that was the end of me. I mean, we, we stayed in contact, but not so much because, I mean, kind of defeats the purpose. And even while I was talking to her, she lived with her boyfriend, a Chinese man. Um, and we talked all the time, like, you know, almost every day. And we did webcamming. Back then, it was before FaceTime, you know? And so for those two years, she was my main focus. And I just talked to Mozzie like every once in a while. But once Zoe had her like lover, then then Mozzie became my focus. And we developed a kind of a relationship. And so 2009, I got a job working for an ex-classmate like, of mine from high school. And from that job... I was able to like save some money and I took my vacation time to go to China. I was trying to sort out where I wanted to live. I wasn't sure. Enough time had elapsed since me visiting Shanghai that I became like pretty used to Fairfax, like the suburbs, grass, trees. I was always walking my dog in the forest or in the woods. And I didn't want to give all that up and become like Mr. Urban Guy anymore. It's not so much. I remember looking at satellite images of Shanghai, and it was just gray. And you'd, you'd drag your cursor along, and it'd be gray, 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 gray forever. And as I looked around China via satellite, I was really turned off. Like, I just, my interest was gone in terms of, I didn't want to give up, like, clean environments to live in urban, run-down environments. But at the same time, I was still dying to learn Chinese. And I considered, like, maybe I could live in Taiwan, maybe that's cleaner, maybe Malaysia, maybe Singapore. But it, the culture that I wanted to learn was mainland Chinese culture, and I knew that they used simplified writing, and they didn't speak the same way. 
and my teacher, when I did learn a semester of Chinese, she was from Shanghai. So I had a, I still had this like interest in that particular language and in that country. Remember, I was like a big kung fu guy, and that's mainland China. So I was determined to move there, and it was just gonna, I was just gonna have to bite the bullet. However, I I did start to look at who where is the cleanest places in China and trying to pull up like websites. Where can I breathe air? And Qingdao and Dalian became the like the two top of the list that I kept seeing. So the plan was I'm gonna try to like live in one of these cities. Uh, I contacted a school in Qingdao and I asked if I could come meet them, figure out what how they work and all that stuff. And via Mazi, we set up a trip. We we're gonna meet in Beijing because the flight was shorter. Like I wouldn't have to. Just to get to Beijing, like with the one layover, was somewhere around 28 hours, I think. So I wasn't going to then connect to go to Qingdao or Shanghai from there. Like it was, let's meet in Beijing. We'll do some exploring and stuff there together. I want to check out the art district. I looked up like there's an arts and performance center. We could see a show there. We can check out the Summer Palace and some other historical places. Check out Beijing. Then we'll go to Qingdao and like let me see the school and see if I want to get set up there. And then I'll be in China, which <laughs> I guess I I figured if we're in the same country, like that's a good like we'll we'll be close. But I kind of think that's absurd now. But <laughs> so that was the plan. Uh, I was working at my job. Uh, flew out, landed in Beijing. She ran up to me at the airport. Like I had to use Skype on the internet at the airport, which was fairly impressive for figuring out how to even do that. And as soon as she ran up into my arms, like she was super cute and happy to be with me. And I was ecstatic, like somebody even liked me, you know, <laughs> unfortunately. But, you know, I got my moment and we took a cab from there to the hotel that I had selected, which was a good hotel. It was like a five-star Chinese hotel. And uh, we made love. And that's really when I lost my virginity if you want to know. And uh, the good thing about it is that I wasn't anticipating that and I wasn't planning. It wasn't like, I can't wait to do that. It really happened organically, which I thought about recently. It was a good thing, I think. Um, we went out after that and that was my first time tagging along with a Chinese person in China and really getting the experience that I didn't get at all when I came with Frisan, which was like the internal family relationship of Chinese. I, the first time she went up and asked somebody on the street, you know, where's this hotel? The way, how casually she said it and how casually the stranger was interrupted and answered her and went back to his conversation, like, impacted me. Like, that was different. That was something that I've never experienced before. You can't walk up to a stranger and just be like, where's the 7-Eleven? It's over there. And that's the end of it. But it was like that. I mean, this is like a fundamental thing about China that I love now. And uh, that was my first experience of that. And then we went out and, you know, I had somebody who could order meals. She was ordering what we were going to eat. She was explaining to me what I was eating somewhat. We took our first pictures of each other, like her from her point of view, me from my point of view. Pretty cool. And that was the first night in Beijing. Um you know, magical. There's there's a, there's a famous song, kind of classic now, I guess from the 90s, called One Night in Beijing in Chinese. Uh, that line is in English, but the rest of the song is in Chinese. 
And I remember she kept singing that. <laughs> so we went out and uh, like we went to that performance center. That was an awesome idea. I told her to bring something nice to wear, wear black. I brought like an all black outfit with slacks and a dress up shirt. I have a really cool picture I'll probably use for this post of that, which later I learned like Chinese don't really dress up for an occasion normally. I mean, I suppose maybe for that, some people might have a little bit, but not, they don't wear like black and like look fancy when they, that was just what I thought, you know, because that's my culture. So that was like pretty much the first and last time I ever dressed up for something besides like a banquet where I'd wear a suit. Um, and that performance was amazing because first of all, you know me, I love music and performances. And this was a whole collection, whether it was just a pianist and a singer doing something kind of modern sounding, or if it was like a full-on orchestra with mixing of Chinese instruments with Western instruments, you know, and they're wearing like their traditional silk outfits um, and like com composers, the best composers in China. It was just just collection of Chinese performances. And it so happens that the guy sitting two seats in front of me with nobody between us was Xi Jinping, the president of current, the current president of China. At the time, I, you know, I don't know who he is because Hu Jintao was still the president. And Mazi told me, like, he's going to be the next president. So I just remember, like, he looked like it, – it, it looked a little bit like um, – who's the guy, the – can't think of his name now – from the, the Chicago gangsters, you know, Capone. He had, like, the girth of Capone. He still does. When you look at the guy, he looks like Al Capone, doesn't he? So I, I did take a picture of him, and that was awesome. And maybe the highlight of Beijing, but maybe not because we also went to 718, which was the art district, which was like blocks and blocks of just cool art. And just, uh, I don't know how that art district came to be, but normally in China, maybe elsewhere, it's like kind of old warehouses, which, yeah, some of it was. They had street art exhibits in the street, but also art galleries and for blocks and blocks. So you can imagine, like, as a creative person, I didn't make a lot of artwork but i loved that being there with her and i love one of the things i loved about her and chinese in general for some of the cities i guess in china is like the the kind of lawlessness in terms of like what outfit you wear you don't have to match your pants with your shirt like there's no social obligation to wear the same colors or the same style or like denim with denim or and you might think, well, we don't have to do that either. But yeah, you kind of, you, you do. Because when you look at the American dressing, you know, the way people dress, there's a way people dress, you know? There's acceptable and less acceptable. I mean, an extreme example is you see people walking around, around Shanghai in their pajamas. Now, that seems incredibly absurd, right? You just imagine walking out of your house in Northern Virginia and seeing a dude walking around in his pajamas in the middle of the day, you know? That's an extreme, but... You know, like, even when I first saw pictures of Mozzie and she would be wearing, like, polyester cargo pants that were kind of, like, running jogging shorts, but then with, like, a uh, like a nice, like, I don't know, like a blouse top or something that you'd never mix those things outside of China. Well, not maybe outside of China, but you wouldn't see that in America. And I always wore those kind of, like, baggy cargo running pants and mixed up my styles like that, so... It was like, I never even seen women dress like that. And being in this art, these like three or four blocks of all this far out art, and you know, and you always, 
You hear it like communist China, communist China. Dude, I don't know where in America looks like this, but to have blocks and blocks and blocks of cool art exhibits of all kinds of art is fucking awesome. So that was fucking great. I think we spent a whole day just doing that. And coincidentally, I ended up living on the same block as an art district in Shanghai. And I went there every week, every week, sometimes more than once. So I love that shit. And uh, we went to the Summer Palace together. You know, that's an amazing thing to do. You never get to see, like, king's palaces. You know what I mean? I don't ever get to see that. Um, and it's so impressive, and there's so much to learn. And being with somebody who can translate and tell you what's going on, buy the tickets, like, make sure you can get there. Dude, it's a blast. Like, there's no American that wouldn't love, especially men, an American man with a Chinese woman, there's no man that wouldn't have the time of their life doing this. I mean, still to this day, it's like, it's 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 a classic thing that for every like Western male that comes to China and has this kind of experience, it's like everybody knows that's had that experience, what it is and how awesome it is to unleash that. It's kind of like there's an under undercurrent, uh, underground talk of Thailand and like that's like the secret key to like <laughs> I don't know I don't know what it is because I I didn't get into it, but it's something about. The male-female dynamic and the freedom you have there. Well, there's there's this kind of like open society in, sh in China, too. I know. You wouldn't think so. But I already told you, like, walking up to a stranger and just being like, where is this? And then be like, there. And that's the end of it. And having a whole city full of that kind of relationship is much, much, much different than anything that you could have in the U.S. Now, I'm sure there's plenty of, like, other countries that are homogeneous that are like that. But I'm not a world-class traveler, and this was, was, was totally new to me. And traveling in general is just like a great release where you feel like you're finally yourself. When you end up being in a new city, it's like, here I come, and what is this, and where do we go? And, and you're also like kind of tuning into your resourcefulness of how you, how you navigate this journey. What are you... How do you, how do you make it to the end of the day? How do you get fed? How do you know where to go? How do you get there? How do you deal with adversity? All that stuff that it doesn't happen in your daily life. You're never challenged like that. It's everything's just like here, this again. You know it. So we had a great time. I think. I mean, I think we stayed in a hostel a couple of days as well. And after three, maybe four days, just like when Rasan and I went three or four days in Beijing, we went to Qingdao from there. We flew. It was my first domestic flight in China. I remember distinctly, like, wow, like all Chinese. Like, you're definitely the odd man out. Like, you know you're, you're kind of like infiltrating a culture when it's like there's none of you here, like ever. And yet there was one older white guy reading a book sitting in that plane. Like, the, full, the plane was full. I remember being like, damn, dude, that guy's on his own. Like, he's, out, he's in this by himself because I'm attached to Mozzie, dude. I don't have to do nothing except hang on to Mozzie and I'm good. And I think that was my downfall with her. And as, as it ought to be, you know, you got an older man who's completely dependent on you. That can't be a great feeling. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get there. So from there, we fly to Qingdao. We land there in the evening. Remember, the goal is to find like a nice environment to live in in China. We take the taxi. It's like 
I don't know, 45 minutes. It's pretty far from the airport. It's late. I think it's like 10.30 at night or something. It's dark. And the first half hour is pure industrial, like, sights. I don't know what the hell we're driving through. Like, constant junkyards or constant, like, electrical power plants for a long... I mean, we're not driving, like, city, like, in downtown roads. We're driving, like, a highway, and it's nothing but shit. And it's... Stinks. The window's open, and it smells like rotten and toxic and, like, sour. It's, like, stinging. It's making you almost barf. Like, it's awful. And I'm thinking, this is this is the clean environment that I'm coming to? This is, this is a nightmare. Like, this is the opposite of what I wanted. And he takes us to what I ended up booking was, uh, like, an – what do they call it? Obser- observation – Observatory, observatory. I can say it. <laughs> observatory. It's like an old debunked observatory. They turned into a hostel on this, like Qingdao, the southern side of Qingdao, outside of the city, little mountain or large hill. We get up there. It's completely dark. They don't even have a light on. You know, it doesn't seem like it's a hotel. It just seems like a little old building that's away from everything. Mozzie's like, I don't think so. And I'm like, I I don't know. It's sad. It's sad. <laughs> so we check it out. Yeah, it's a hostel. She doesn't want to stay there. But like, what? it's almost midnight. We, there's nowhere to go. So we're staying there. And that's a good example of what happened time and time again in China, which was, and in life, but this only happened to me in China. Whereas I ended up staying somewhere that would have been like a cold, miserable, lonely, dreadful experience. But being with a, a comforting woman who, I mean, there's a word called comfort women. It's not surprising. But somebody you like and respect and like to be with who's with you and like doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It didn't matter. There's no soap. There's no towel. There's no covers on the bed. The mattress is rock hard on the floor. It's a crappy place. It's actually ended up being a pretty cool place because the deck on the top floor had a great, like, ob- obviously, observation of the city. And it was kind of like a makeshift bar grill out area. That's what's cool is because there's so much of China that nobody gives a fuck about that it's like you can just throw together whatever. Like, let's put a grill here and a umbrella there and you know make this a spot that people chill at and it was cool and then in the morning you know we had breakfast there i went out to the courtyard i was doing my morning kung fu stuff and i took a walk along the hillside through like the trees and it was the first time i discovered older men like doing uh their kung fu with swords i didn't see that in beijing i didn't see that in shanghai i didn't see that in america and i was already kind of under the impression that like, Chinese don't do kung fu. I might have seen people doing tai chi before, but these guys had swords. And, like, I didn't even, I never learned how to use a sword in kung fu. It's not something I'd really seen in person. So I was happy about that. And it was like I'd walk a little bit, and there'd be a dude, like, wearing his silks, playing around with his sword, like, slowly, mostly. But then I'd come down the hill, and there'd be another guy by himself doing his thing with the sword. Then I'd come around the hill and down this side, and another dude. So, like, this morning kung fu with swords, I was very happy to discover that. I felt great about that because this was a major draw for me being interested in China at all. Like, China at all as a culture and China as a place to live. And not having seen that and then finally discovering was great. 
So I was really happy about that. And from there, we went to the elementary school that I had looked up in advance, which was going to offer me a job for teaching. And I went there to meet them. It was going to be 6,000 RMB a month, which is pretty low. That's half of the salary that they were going to give me in Shanghai. However, they give you a dormitory where you share, like, not a room, but like an apartment with another teacher or two. And they took us to the classroom. They took us to meet one of the teachers. The situation was something like you get this money, which is spending money mostly, because I think you can eat, I think they feed you at least lunch, and they give you a place to stay, and you only have to teach like three days a week. And I don't even think it was a full day. It was probably like four hours, three days a week. So I guess there was a New Zealand or Australian guy that I talked to in that apartment, and he was like, yeah, it's great. It's like, you know, the job is just like play with these kids, and then you get all this free time. Like I do this on my days off, and I do that, and sometimes I go there. So that was interesting. It was like, damn, you're going to have a lot of free time to like explore, which is what you want. You know, I wasn't going to China to, like, make a living, which a lot of people do. They don't have any other choice, which now I get because now I, I'm not getting another choice. Or they go there for, you know, to meet women or uh, they have interest in actually teaching English. I didn't. I just needed to live in China and learn China stuff. So that was very enticing. Now, I didn't have any plans to go to Shanghai, but Mazi had to move her stuff. She was, like, moving apartments so we had to leave Qingdao. I'll just finish, like, there was more that we did in Qingdao. We went to, mainly we were in the downtown area, which I didn't know there was a, like, north side or northeastern side, which was all, like, new development and much nicer and had, like, grass and sidewalks and stuff. We stayed mainly in the, the lower side, which was the old buildings, completely dark at night. I had never seen like 40, 50, 60 story buildings that didn't have a single light on at night that was completely lit by moonlight in a city. I mean, it's eerie. It's very eerie. Nowadays, I mean, China changes so rapidly. Qingdao and, and most cities are, have all kinds of flash, too many flashing lights at night. But I mean, even in America, you turn on a few lights for security or whatever. It looks way nicer and less scary. <laughs> but Qingdao was like run down there was there was a lot of like big buildings that were gutted out and empty and didn't look like anybody was developing or trying to move into them and it did it stunk and it was dirty and I was thinking this isn't what I thought Qingdao was supposed to be it was number one on this list of great environments which should tell you something about China I guess it's kind of unfair to like really remote cities that have beautiful skies and stuff but uh, and somehow I, I knew, I connected with the guy who lived in Qingdao, probably via MySpace, who was my age. And him and his wife came out and they drove us around. They took us to like the German church on the cobblestone streets and through downtown. Had us test out like street food that was local, Qingdao food. Something interesting is because it's the capital of Qingdao beer, a lot of like the street side places sell beer right out of the cake into a plastic bag that you carry around. And it's warm beer, and people just drink warm beer out. Like, they'll go fishing in the ocean on from the beach and have this, like, plastic bag of beer, which we did come across dudes doing that. Uh, so that was a great experience. And I remember that was kind of the first time, I guess, that I got hungry at, like, 4 o'clock. Of course, you know, I'm on completely jet lag time, 100%, because it's 12 hours difference. 
But we went into a restaurant because I was hungry and everybody was sleeping and the lights were off. And I was like, are you open? They're like, yeah, yeah, sure. But they clearly like weren't. I don't know what was going on. It was super odd. Well, I found out later, Chinese culture, they eat lunch at 12 o'clock, maybe 12.30. But there's no 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 10.30 lunch. No, it's 12. Pretty strict on that. It's kind of similar to the way that we eat dinner, like 6 o'clock, 6 to 8, but mostly 6. Like 6 is dinner time, wouldn't you say? Well, 12 is lunchtime, and everybody knows that shit. And like, a lot of people have routines where you end up walking... Oh, you know what? Ooh, that just reminds me. I'm going to add to this story now. But anyway, people end up walking around and taking a nap at lunchtime. It's pretty standard, and it's all like 12 o'clock on. So that was my first insight into that and having no idea about that. And that was great. I really liked that guy, and it was just like I said about dressing. Like the, He dressed in a cool way, even though he's like very timid dude. And we had a good time with, with them doing that. And I remember we tried, I tried to find sailing because Qingdao's the sailing cap was supposed to be of China. And they didn't have any sailboats you could rent, even though the week prior was the sailing expo or sailing Olympics of China. And there was nowhere to get a sailboat. So that was disappointing because that was something I was looking forward to. It was like I could keep sailing and live in China. Awesome. Um, and then they also have a beach that, because it's Qingdao, it's on the ocean. So Mozzie had bought a bikini and I had brought my bathing suit, but it was pretty, pretty awful. It was a very small part of like central Qingdao, which is have has a sandy beach. The water's disgusting. Like you could feel all the garbage and just gunk that you'd get into that water. It's just awful. So I didn't go into the water. The sun feels totally different in China. It's not a warm, yellow, orangey feeling. It's more like a white, burning, squinty eyes, even though you can't see the sun directly. You're just like blinded by the whiteness of the thickness of the sky. If you live in China, you know what the fuck I'm talking about. So if you're a foreigner, Chinese don't know because that's all they've ever known. So that wasn't that cool. I remember I made like a little seat, lay down area out of the sand, put my towel on it. And Mazi was like, is that what you're supposed to do? Like she'd never been to the beach. People don't go to the beach in China. No wonder, considering this is the beach. And that was, that's located like right in the center of Qingdao. And this is already like our fourth or fifth day. And we we're only going to be in Qingdao like six or seven days. So it was like, that was the first time I started to see the nicer part of Qingdao. It was like, son of a bitch. Like, that's what I came to see. I didn't even know it was there. Nobody told me that. Of course, I didn't know to ask that or who I would ask. So I left there kind of like, damn, you know, I wish I stayed up there and then saw that area. That could have changed my whole projection of life because maybe I would have stayed there. Because I heard good things about Qingdao from foreigners as well. And I didn't have plans, like I said, to go to Shanghai. But Mozzie had to move her stuff from one apartment to another. So we flew, I think, from Qingdao to Shanghai. And it was like, man, it was like so good. You know, I didn't want to go to Shanghai. I'd been looking at it through satellite images that looked horrendous, just gray. And I had kind of fell out of love with the idea of living in a city. And yet it was vibrant. We were in a, a lot of the time in like the former French concession with the big trees and the shade and the freshness of the trees was there and you had the modern amenities and it felt like 
felt like a, you know, American-ish, Americana-ish. They had like Burger Kings that I ate at. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is much better than where I was just at. And so while I was there, one of the times, we stayed at her place like when we moved, but we couldn't finish moving, so we stayed at a hostel. They had internet, and I logged into my MSN, and there was uh, one of these middlemen companies to help you find teaching gigs. So I said, can I come by? Yeah, sure, here's the address. It was only like two stations away. So I went over there, and I probably have to double-check if I confuse this with my first trip to Shanghai. But anyway, I went over there, and they offered me a job like right there for 15,000 RMB a month, which is much more than Mozzie made, and it was a plenty to live in Shanghai. And I could start on Monday, and it was Friday. And it was like, you qualify, you can have this job. Do you want it? You know? We'll help you get a place to stay. And I remember being like, damn. Because it's a long journey to go back to the U.S. It's like 20 hours on a plane, if, if not more, because I may be flying out of New York that time as well. So I thought about it, you know. I thought, no, let's do this, like, legitimately. Like, let's go back to America. Let's work a few more months, save up a little, some cash, and, you know, Clear out all my stuff. I can't just like leave all my stuff at my friend's house where I was living. And let's come back and go through this middleman again and do this for real. So I that was my decision. Um, and we walked around Shanghai and we did Shanghai stuff and it was good. And I that's I was feeling like, yeah, this is this is where I'm gonna start out at least. I'll check out Dalian, I'll check out these other places, but I'll start out in Shanghai. I don't have time to keep flying back and forth looking for the best place to live. So that was the objective. We took another trip to, which was Hangzhou, about an hour away from Shanghai. It's got a famous place called Westlake. We walked around Westlake together. I remember being like really tired and my feet were burning and sweaty and dying to have a hamburger and a beer. I was just like having almost two weeks of Chinese food, mainly Chinese food. And the smell of the lake was distinctly like Chesapeake Bay, where I'm from where I grew up going on the weekends and in summers, we had a trailer mobile home right on the, on the bay and we do crabbing and fishing. And it was just like Americana, you know? So I had this deep desire to, after all day walking to have a burger and a beer on the bay, you know, outdoors be awesome. And we found such a place. There was one like Western bar and grill area. The top floor was like just a deck. It was like an outdoor bar area you could eat at i was we made a plan like we're gonna go there after we do this walk and i just was focused on this thing maybe we walked around the whole lake is a big ass lake and you know i turned around for a minute and mozzie had bought some noodles in a like shop on the street and was chowing down these noodles and i was so disappointed that was kind of one of the first disappointments i had with her because it was like dude you know how it is you're gonna do something all day together you know, having this long-ass hike, and you want to chill out and relax and eat together. I mean, kind of a normal feeling, right? But at the same time, I do understand now, like, when you're when you're really hungry and you want a satisfying meal, you don't want to have something foreign or exotic. You want to have what you want to eat, you know, and that's going to hit the spot. So that's what she was doing. She bought, like, you know, three-quai street food, and I was planning on having, like, a legit meal with her. And when we got up to the the deck of this bar, I had my shoes off because my feet were killing me. And they were 
laying on my shoes, like with my socks off, throbbing, but under the table, outdoor, bar and grill, who gives a shit, you know? Well, what ends up happening, I find out later when I come back to America and check her QQ, where she's got her own, like, posting of her wall. It's, it's my shoes off. And, and it doesn't say my boyfriend took his shoes off because his feet hurt. It doesn't say my friend took his shoes off. No, it says, look how the foreigner acts in a restaurant. Yeah, that's what I found. She had written right. You know, what a sneaky bitch. Sneaky bitch, because she, she wasn't letting me know at all that she had these feelings about me. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I'll get on with that in a minute. So I we went back to Shanghai, and uh, I flew back to Beijing, where I was going to fly out of, like, in the next day. I had one more day in Beijing, and somebody else I had met online... Uh, a much older dude who worked for a big, uh, like, IT company, really big IT, like hundreds of employees in a campus outside of Beijing. So he was the guy I knew in Beijing. There was another guy I had met through, like, an Asian meetup in Maryland, like, a, you know, a couple of years before. And he was living in Beijing, and I went out to eat with him. I remember he gave me some grilled food. And while I was eating it, he goes, can you taste the urine? It's like, what? He's like, oh, you're eating bladder. Like, I remember that. <laughs> and, uh, and then going to this guy who was going to pick me up and drive me out, and I was really grateful for that. I mean, like, I'm a fish out of water. I couldn't be alone in China. This is great that someone was going to do this for me. Picks me up in his car, drives me way out of Beijing. There's five rings like highway beltways around Beijing. We go way past the fifth ring. And it's like all of a sudden it's all sandy. I don't know. I guess that's coming off the desert. Beijing is just southeast of a desert. So it becomes all sandy. And you're getting so far out now. You're like, dude, if this guy leaves my side, I'm just going to curl up into a ball and die. Like there's no public transportation that I can see. It's not even like restaurants. I'm completely at this dude's mercy. We go out to his office, campus. He sits me down. He's like, here, you can sit here and wait for me. At the end of the day, I'll take you back to my house and we'll, like, feed you dinner. It's like, okay, cool. So I'm sitting at this desk. The computer doesn't even have internet. And, like, time's going by and I'm just sitting there. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be on a plane for, like, 28 hours. And I'm just sitting here. I got one last day in Beijing. And I'm sitting in an office, which is what I do Monday through Friday nine hours a day anyway like it quickly became like fuck this dude like this dude's just gonna have me sit like i thought you know he would take some time off or he was gonna like talk to me or something but he was sitting behind me just working and i'm just sitting there and i didn't even have internet <laughs> and he kind of was like here's your desk mate person and so i was with her at lunchtime like that guy didn't even eat lunch with me dude that guy didn't even eat lunch with me you go into this cafeteria for, with the company, and I'm with her, and I'm, you know, fucking standing out like a sore thumb. We're going through, they're putting stuff on my tray. I don't even know what this stuff is. It's food, I guess. So I'm like, where's the drink? Well, I find out kind of later on, I guess, like mainly Chinese just drink soup with their food. It's not like you have a food and a beverage. Although they do do that, obviously. They do have McDonald's and stuff. You know, it's totally fine for them to just have soup. 
I didn't know that. So I, that was something I remember. We have this food. doesn't taste good or anything like that. And she was nice to me. And the other guy probably that I sat with was nice. And after that, you do a walk around the campus. And this is what I was talking about earlier. It's really like standard practice. You, you have a big lunch. You take your walk. And you take a nap at the desk. I didn't know any of that. It's my first time. And I'm just learning by doing. Don't know it's a culture thing. Think it's a thing that they do. Take a big walk. The whole company campus is doing this slow walk around the campus. And then you go back to the desk and like everybody's got their head on their desk. I mean, it's it's weird if you're not used to that to see people in an office all sleeping at their desk. Like I didn't even know you could fall asleep at a desk, you know? Did you know that? Well, that's like, that's what they do. And while that's happening, she's trying to get her shut eye. And I've already determined I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, no, sir, you're not taking away my last day in China. This took me years and years and years to get here, man. And I'm not going to sit in this desk while you don't pay any attention to me. So my suitcase is in the dude's car. And I just lean over to him. And I say, hey, can I get my suitcase out of your car? He's like, why, why would you want to do that? Like, oh, I'm going to go, like, just uh, get something out of it. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, I was kind of just, like, angry. And um, I wasn't even trying to make sense or, like, make a case to him. Like, I know it didn't make any sense. But I was, you know, <laughs> just being, like, friendly about it. Like, just going to take my suitcase and have a walk, you know? So uh, that girl, like, took me to the suitcase with his key. And I got my suitcase out, and uh, and I was like, oh, that's fine. I'll be good. I'm just going to walk around. Thanks. And just was walking down the street with my suitcase. And I saw a taxi, luckily, because I was trying to find, like, a bus or something. And I think I figured out by using their internet where a hostel was. That's what it was. I just, like, found a random address and knew how to get there via the subway system. So the guy basically took me through all the ring roads to the one of the first subway stations. And I had a long ass, like hour and a half subway ride with long transfers. It was hot. It was crowded. I was by myself. And I found like this hotel hostel where I checked in. And I got on the internet like, I don't know, it was probably like five o'clock in the evening. And I sent him a message on MSN. And I was like, hey, wanted to let you know. Um, happened to come across a hostel. I'm checking in pretty tired, so I guess I'll just stay here then. And so I'm sure he was, like, hurt and, you know, insulted or whatever. But he's like, oh, so we're not going to meet up, you know? And like, nah, I'm good. Like, thanks, though. But I was kind of like, fuck you for wasting my whole goddamn day and not talking to me and not even fucking having lunch with me. And just, like, expecting me to sit and do nothing all day in an office. Fuck you. That was kind of the end of our friendship. We might have talked, like, once after that. Not that we had a great friendship, but I had talked to him before. So, I mean, I, I did have my, like, last day walking around Beijing. I don't really remember that. What I do remember is when I went to the airport, I went, like, way early. Because I didn't want to really get lost in Beijing. So I went way early. It's a big-ass international airport, so I thought I was just, like, chill there and, you know, take it easy and have, like, real food or whatever, food that I knew. And I got there so early, they didn't have a gate ready for this flight. So the dude wrote a number on my 
ticket. And he was like, that's going to be your gate. I didn't think nothing of it. I remember I was like there for so long that I ended up sitting down at one of the, you know, restaurants and having drinks and eating and just staying there for a long time. And while I was there, it got dark and there was less people. But I wasn't really paying attention. It ended up being four or five other dudes, foreign guys sitting in the bar area. And he's like, oh, you must be on the flight to Mongolia too that got delayed or canceled. Like, yeah, like have some drinks. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, no, no, like that's my gate right there and pointed at it through the window. There's a, there's a plane. I'm not, I'm just not paying attention because I've been there so long. And the guys go, oh, like whatever it was, like Singapore, oh, okay, you're on the Singapore flight. And I'm kind of like, no, you know, I didn't say anything. But in my head, I'm like, no, definitely not on the Singapore flight. And that's when it's like slowly coming. Like my flight's in a half hour or in 15 minutes, right? Or like now almost. And there's nobody there. And that's not my plane. So <laughs> you might think, well, how did you fuck that up, dude? Like that's the only thing you're there for. Well, when you're there for like six hours, you know, all you're thinking about is how you're going to kill six hours and then you're going to get on your airplane, even if that's supposed to be it. And you think you'd be like extra concerned. Or, I'm not. I'm like, dude said this gate and that time. So I'm just hanging out until this gate and that time. Well, like I start walking up and down. Now I'm like, oh, shit. Up and down, uh, you know, whatever it is, the, the whole gate area. And I find uh, the entrance to one of the places and I go up to them and I'm like, yeah, I'm on this flight to whatever it was, New York. And they're like, oh, they just boarded, man. You missed your flight. And the guy was kind of like a dick about it. I was like, whoa, like I was supposed to be on there. I didn't hear. And they're like, oh, we called. We called for you, man. Like you missed your flight, dude. So come back tomorrow or something. Like you fucked up. Even though the flight's still there, like it, it didn't depart from the gate, you know? Like I could have got on it if they really wanted me to. But he's too busy being like, you fucked up. It's not our problem. And I felt like a total idiot, you know, the whole time, ever since the moment I realized I missed my flight, like that's, or that's not my flight. From that moment on, I was like, you fucking idiot, dude. And I probably had a few beers in or whatever. And I started to walk away feeling like an idiot and it's my fault. And looking at my ticket and being like, wait a minute, dude. I, it said 29 or whatever. And I was at gate 29. Like, Nobody fuck like I didn't I didn't fuck up, dude. Like the only thing I fucked up was not trying to figure out why nobody was at my gate earlier. But, you know, that's not really you know, you said you guys were going to be there. So I went back to him and I said, "Hey, man, look. Luckily the dude had written 29 or whatever the gate was on my ticket." So I was like, "Look, man, I was there. So I didn't fuck up. You guys fucked up." And then his uh, attitude changed from that moment and I saw him like Call, try to call, I guess, the comp, the desk. And he's like, dude, you know, you could see him like figuring out you checked in like way too early. We didn't know. So it went from you fucked up, good luck getting another flight to, okay, come with us. We're going to go back to the company. So I walked with him through Beijing Airport. I feel like I've had a kind of a number of special experiences in these airports in China now, these big giant international airports. And we went, all through, past all the check-in and shit that I had to do, security check-ins, and underground, where all, like, the company stuff is in the basement of this airport. 
And they're like, all right, we're going to put you up in a hotel tonight. And they'll take you back like at 10 o'clock or whatever in the morning tomorrow. And that's on us because we fucked up. So son of a bitch. And I was kind of relieved, man, because I was so exhausted, like having a that trip from that campus to downtown and all that traveling just f- from Shanghai to Beijing. And I didn't have any time. I was, you know, used to exercising a lot of that time in my life. So I didn't have any time to take care of myself. And this was going to be like in a nice hotel. That hostel I was in, that was shitty too. They didn't have towels or soap or anything. So I went from that to a nice hotel that had all that stuff. It had a gym. It had like Western restaurants. So I had like a full night's sleep in a nice bed. I told my boss like, I'm not going to be at work tomorrow, but it's not my fault. That's great, dude. (laughs) Man, ain't life some shit. You like, it's like, Work sucks so bad, you know? Just to have one day extra shouldn't matter at all. And for them, it's like, oh, you're going to miss a day of work? It's like, yeah, it's not even, doesn't even matter. So I got that that night of sleep. I went to the gym in the morning. I exercised in the gym for like a half hour. And I had headphones and my like iPhone 1, I guess. Uh, No, iPhone 4. And I had some really cool music. And I ended up jogging around. This hotel was remote. It was basically like for people in the airport business. And I jogged around for 45 minutes, which I don't usually jog that long. And it was awesome, just an awesome experience to jog through this like forgotten about rural, way outside of where foreigners go area. And I remember like jogging, having this great music, listening to it, getting like feeling good, getting this jog on. And all of a sudden, there was like three wild dogs in the road and me, like about to cross paths. And that was fucking frightening. It's like, never had experienced that before. It's just a lot of things that happen that you don't have coming out of developed America, you know? And I was worried, you know, if I was going to get attacked by them. That ended up being okay. Got through them, but I was very nervous about that. There was nothing I could have done to defend myself. And, uh, and they were developing some, like, mall area, and they had pasted up, you know, while they're doing the construction, pictures of, like, white people. Like, it was all, like, white people and some Chinese people that were out, like, it was a whole scene of what this was going to be built, this modern environment of shopping and restaurants. And that was weird, but I ended up seeing that over and over again as a theme in China. It was like, anytime there was pasting, postings up of, what was being built, there was always, like, Western people enjoying it. So that was the first I seen of that. And I had this great run, that great exercise. I'd slept well, I'd eaten well. And by the time I got on the airplane, like, that flight wasn't hard because I was, like, ready for it. I had, like, trained for it, which it would have, it would have like, destroyed me had I not had that experience. So I got really lucky on that flight back. And what I'm going to do is pick up from that time that I came home from that trip that summer until just a few months later, me selling all of my stuff off and getting a one-way ticket to Shanghai to start my life in Shanghai. And that's the start of really the Shanghai Grumble China Logs. So come with me on that trip and let's see what it's like going into the belly of the beast by myself with no contact because Mozzie will come to find, totally abandons me and I'm on my own. And I'm not deterred, and I'm going to do it. I'm moving to China. Let's go. Let's go.